Hey everyone, thanks for listening to another episode of Sociology Talk. I'm your host, Andres Sanchez. Today we have Joey Williams on the show. He's the director of Organizing California Native Boat Project. He's done amazing work and I'm excited to share his story with you. Enjoy. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Here we have Joey Williams, who is the director of Organizing California Native Boat Project. So happy to have you on, Joey. Nice to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so I usually just jump into uh, you know, a little bit about what what drew you into sociology before before we talk about you know your occupation, what you do now. Um, I like to back up a bit and see what was it about sociology that drew you in to the discipline? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when I was an undergrad, I majored in history and I had a minor in political science. And one of the classes I was required to take for graduation was a gender, race, and ethnicity course that I took, I believe, in 2009. And I happened to take that course with one of the best professors on the campus at CSUB, Dr. Rhonda Dugan. Okay. And, um, yeah. And uh, what was really important about the class with uh, with Rhonda was that I believe I seen certain things growing up. I could see the structural and institutional racism that was happening within the school district, the police force, like the administrators were white, the cops were white. And I knew these certain things to be true, but I thought I was just crazy Mm. and that Mm. I was just making this stuff up in my head. What I learned in sociology 327 validated everything that I ever knew was true as a um, as a young man, as a kid, as a teenager growing up in East Bakersfield, was that folks were being charged five times the amount for rock cocaine versus powder cocaine, thus giving them larger prison sentences, that there was a, a, a movement of mass incarceration that came out of Jim Crow and the slavery system, how it morphed. And, you know, being a history uh, uh, major, I definitely appreciated that because I could now see, I could draw the parallels. So I, I definitely fell in love with uh, what Rhonda was teaching and just her as a, as an individual uh, was really instrumental. She became a really great, it's a great friend is uh, this helping me on my journey of one is, you know, as a native American, uh, Kauai Zunua, the Kern Valley Indian community born and raised in East Bakersfield is of understanding the, colonization that has happened to Native Americans with the theft of lands and uh, genocide and the kidnapping of proud African people since the worst form of slavery is like the foundation that this government has been founded on, um, you know, on Native land. So for me as a historian and in the sociology department, it was helpful for me to see these important facts, empirical evidence that was validating all the things I knew to be true as a young man and as my views on politics, race, faith, and all these different things. Secondly, um, my advisor and mentor in the sociology program was Dr. Gonzalo Santos. Mm -hmm. Um, I went along to take a globalization course with him my senior year, and I was learning about the periphery and the core and push and pull factors Mm -hmm. and NAFTA, and nothing uh, exists in a vacuum. but really seeing the parallels of how the the U.S. policies of NAFTA and CAFTA decimated the corn population of Mexico, the birthplace of corn, 
corn is a sacred thing for Mayans and other folks, other indigenous communities. So now that you could buy corn in Nebraska for cheaper and import it in, really devastated Mexican farming in the 90s and uh, the Zapatista movement. And then I'm seeing how the influx of immigration happened in the late 90s, early 2000s um, into, you know, they like to call it the United States, the now called United States. We as natives call it Turtle Island, but uh, of indigenous peoples who have been here in this hemisphere for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years in time immemorial. Yeah. So Dr. Santos is really big in helping me. Uh, he's probably the best history professor I ever had. And in my opinion, he's the best history professor if he's still there on campus. Uh, yeah, he's yeah, he's actually retired now. But I yeah, I took uh, some classes with Dr. Gonzalo Santos and I I totally get it. Like he's just so filled with information. Right. Just son, tons of information. And uh, and same thing with with Dr. Dugan. I mean, I hear a lot of stories of students coming on our former alumni coming on and just really, she really had an impact on those students, you know, with, you had mentioned the aspect of, of race and mass incarceration and you had learned that from her. And then, um, then you got the global aspect of Gonzalo Santos and how everything just kind of, I mean, not, it, it doesn't always operate at a micro level that not everything occurs in a vacuum that there's a, even other nations are tied into what what is happening and so you had mentioned nafta and their relationship with the united states to other countries and what that can what that produces what effects that produces so yeah, yeah it's really my, interesting my number one advice to sociology majors is minor in history or political science <laughs> <laughs> because the context is really important for sociology you know i've seen a lot of students in the graduate struggle with the historical factors of like the industrial revolution how it led you know marx and engels to write you know the communist manifesto we have a lot of these theories that came out of that but it's also when you think about uh, hegel and all these other folks it's like it's really important how it shapes uh the context and the events of history shape sociology and behaviors and people so i would just really mm -hmm. recommend that folks either consider minoring in history or political <laughs> science uh, because you will be tested in it as you move forward through sociology, whether you go through a master's or, you know, getting your bachelor's or you get a PhD. Yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, uh, some people are, they think that history is just like, Oh, we take the class and you know, I could just not really worry about it, but they don't really understand that the effects of contemporary society has as a result of historical um, events, you know? And so it's really interesting that even historical information or historical events have impacted or currently impacting what is happening in society today. So it is totally true that, you know, like that historical background is definitely, um, you need that to really understand the, what is happening today in some, in some cases. And um, I came from like a liberal studies background. So I was fortunate to have some historical um background when coming into sociology you know the history aspect it was it was able to grasp that a little bit more but what's different with sociology is that it tells i mean at least the classes i took with sociology is that it's the information that really you didn't learn um in a conventional history history class i feel like you know like we talk about the alamo and like how those people are heroes and stuff like that but like when you when you look at it in a different context, like within the Latino experience class, those guys were fighting to preserve slavery. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. and they were actually considered Mexican citizens if you know they look at that. Yeah. Um, so we want to be honest it about well. it. We uh, Washington D.C. is founded on George Washington's plantation where he owned slaves. Mm-hmm. Him and Thomas Jefferson and. Washington had a chance to free his slaves upon death and didn't do it because he didn't want to leave his wife without mm-hmm. help. Um, people don't know these important facts about, you know, the U.S. government and how it was formed. And it's very important to our history to know there's a big battle against what they want to call it woke or whatever they want to call it or CRT or, you know, it's it's called truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's something that we need to be teaching. And I think sociology is a place where truth comes to light you know right yeah so interesting and so what if if you could think back about um you know when you were exposed to sociology what what made you decide to major in it like what was the one key thing that you were like okay this is what i have a passion for this is what i wanted to get my degree in do you remember when that that kind of happened for you yeah, I do. I, to be honest, and no offense to the history department, uh, <laughs> I wasn't very impressed with their their master's program, and I definitely wanted to stay local because I was also a youth pastor and I was involved in community organizing. We'll talk about in a little bit. But what really inspired me was, um, you know, I I had shifted. I know I wanted to get a graduate degree, and I had decided between MSW or a in sociology after taking the course with Dr. Santos, who was encouraging me to apply for the uh, master's program. Uh, it was really like his urging him and Ro- Dr. Dugan of taking a step into um, going into the master's program. Like I said, I was a history major in poli sci, but um, I took a couple of prereqs and I took one. It was a methods class with uh, Dr. Dugan and I took um, classical theory with Dr. Cabetti mm-hmm. and um you know, I love Dr. Cabetti. Like, he's such an insightful, knowledgeable person, a great instructor. Um, very, you know, listening really carefully to his lectures. And he was a great uh, mentor in helping me understand the the theory piece, you know, of understanding Comte and Simmel and, you know, the theory of the stranger and these different mm-hmm. things. They made a lot of sense for me as I'm thinking about society and I'm thinking about Hegel and Marx and the dialectics and you know how Marx is building off that and different things it was just like super fascinating I think one thing that was really great I was able to write this paper in the master's program on the social psychology of Malcolm X Mm, mm -hmm. and I read this book and it's still in my library over here by Manning Marble is um it was all the people that knew Malcolm the best but really how his influences his political influence the racism he experienced everything shaped his worldview and that's the way marx was seeing things as opposed to everything in the past makes you who you are or oh no where you are now influences the future instead it's the past like marx was saying that influences your your, the present and what you do now so i was able to really like dive into there and you know dissect somebody who was uh, one of the heroes of mine as you know they were fighting against this white supremacist culture and a by any means necessary philosophy, but you got to figure out what made that philosophy a by any means necessary. And what were the things that happened that led him to be more inclusive towards the end of his life uh, before he was assassinated Mm -hmm. on uh, wanting to reach out. So I feel like being able to do things that you're passionate about and you care about 
depth and right. is why sociology is so attractive and mm-hmm. maybe want to go into it is because it makes sense. The one thing I tell folks about your college career, you're going to do a lot of courses you really don't like in your first two years, whether it's junior college or undergrad, you're going to get an upper division, more focused classes. And when you get to the master's, you're really doing things that you are passionate about and you care about, and it really narrows. Now you might have to throw in a little stats class there, which will be a pain <laughs> in the ass, but you know, you know, it's uh, you really get to narrow in on things you really are passionate about, you care about, and that uh, you're interested in, because that's really important. I think, yeah, with your study, you got to really love and uh, be in a like a relationship with the type of uh, things you're studying and uh, wrestling with and delving into. Right. Yeah. And it's so fascinating. That's just basically how um, sociology works, right? It encompasses it encompasses a lot of things. Like you can do research on, uh, you know, mass incarceration, or you know, for me, I w- I was doing my research on technology and how that affects us as people. And so, yeah, it's just it it does cover a, a wide range of topics and conversations. And so that's sociology. I feel like is like the the meeting place of like multiple disciplines you know so it's it's very interesting you had mentioned like you know taking a history class in order to understand the fundamentals of this contemporary society and the issues that we have in society um you know what you had mentioned Cabetti as well dr Cabetti, and he came with the uh, philosophy background which yeah. helps him understand theory and so the the, the old school philosophy <laughs> ideas are uh, they help you understand sociological theory and also contemporary sociological theory. So you can see all these like history, philosophy, sociology is like the, I feel like is the meeting place of like a many disciplines. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing too. When I think about Kabetti and like he's talking about othering and thinkification and objectifying things is just really fascinating work, how people commit their lives to, to this and, you know, the advanced race theory and, I took with Dr. Santos was just, I'm sure we'll get into a bit. It's been super helpful in, you know, my trajectory over the last decade. Right. Yeah. Awesome. We love, we love to hear that experience, that journey. Um, so it has led to what you are doing now and um, which we'll dive into what, what are you doing in terms of occupation uh, once you graduated Um you know, you, you had graduated with the master's degree in sociology, correct? So, yes. Um, and now what is it that you're doing today? Yeah, currently I am the director of organizing at the California Native Vote Project. So we organize Native Americans across the state of California around the things that unite us, not the things that divide us, because, you know, mm-hmm. like any group, we're not monolithic. Uh, things around education, housing, jobs are really important. L.A. County, where I'm currently at, has the largest... Um, uh, concentration of Native Americans anywhere in the country, in the United States. A lot of that happened through things like relocation and termination in the 50s that wanted to get folks off tribal lands into more assimilation into urban settings. So, um, you know, that's my role as an organizer is I train community organizers across the state. I'm building a team and we have a team in Sacramento, a team in Riverside, a team in LA, and we're, um, organizing with tribal communities, uh, recognized and uh, non-recognized tribes around the things that are important to them, like curriculum change. We just worked with Assemblymember Ramos on a bill called the California Indian Education Act, 
And what it's going to do is we had an incident in Riverside where a teacher dressed up in a headdress who was trying to teach trigonometry through a Sokotoa process and was deeply offensive as she was mocking and making animal noises and mm. caused a lot of harm uh, to Native <clears throat> folks. And it was recorded. So that's really spurred wow. the AB1703, which is currently sitting on the governor's desk. It would strongly recommend that districts, and we just got LA, I just authored a resolution that LA Unified just passed supporting AB1703, that local districts work with tribal communities to teach the local history of Natives. Because mm-hmm. we had incidents, like Assembly Member Ramos will say, um, the teacher told them in class, like, hey, um, here's this Plains Indian song and a drum. You know, tell us what that song means. And they're like, we don't know. And they're like, oh, you must not be Indian enough. Never mind. You know, and they'll move over. And it's like, no, it's not that. We are Kuiya, Serrano. We don't have this type of drum or that. That's the Plains Indians. We have our bird songs and these different instruments that we use to mm-hmm. and that. And so it's really the ignorance on part of the teacher is that you got to understand the folks where you're at is that not all Indians are Kevin Costner and the dancing with wolves. I always say, <laughs> I always say it's Kevin Costner's fault that everyone is, you know, thinks everyone's in a TP and riding a horse and yeah, like as dancing with wolves that did that. But uh, hopefully reservation dogs said everyone's straight, but it's like, um, no, it's like, you know, like that, that piece right there, right. Is, um, being able to do that legislation, we just got the Columbus Highway removed uh, from the Santa Monica area, the Transcontinental Highway on the I-10 I- um, through the legislature. And we just passed a big housing bill because we just did a listening session with our Native community in L.A. And uh, 150 folks had said that affordable housing was the number one issue and reentry because Native Americans, Alaska Natives, we have the highest incarceration rates, the highest police brutality rates and suicide rates per capita. So, you know, mental health and housing are two things that are going hand in hand. So that's the type of work I'm able to do. Um, but before that, I was also um, with a network called PICO, People Improving Community Through Organizing the Statewide Network. I was a local director in Bakersfield at the Faith in the Valley chapter in Kern. I was there from 2014. I was actually a board member and a clergy leader there from 20, 2008 to about 2014 when I became the director. Uh, executive director of the local affiliate. And we really were tackling the issues of police brutality, which are prevalent in Bakersfield. 2015, we were the America's deadliest police force, Bakersfield Police Department. The Guardian did a documentary on us. You can look it up. It's called The Counted. Um, um, and yeah, really committed uh, our our work to those who have been, you know, forgotten and ignored. You know, the mm-hmm. powerful, you know, well, we had David Silva, who was beaten to death in 2013 at the county hospital, right by the county hospital, by three different agencies with a canine dog. And they took cell phones and bashed him. You'll be able to hear a lot of this on the Hulu series they're doing on Kern County on Bakersfield coming out this month uh, that we okay. did ABC Hulu. But nobody said anything. No one did anything. None of the elected officials, none of the clergy. And it's really where faith in action and faith in uh, faith in the valley were able to respond mm-hmm. and really stand with the family, stand with those who are experiencing police brutality, bring it to light. And then we got the California Department of Justice to when Kamala Harris was there to do an investigation on BPD and the sheriffs, which is happening right now. So then they have to make changes and different things like that to ensure they're not um, brutalizing uh, people in Kern County, that they're not killing our folks. Um mm-hmm. And providing accountability, 
So that's the type of work I've been able to do over the last, you know, working on Prop 47, which I was reclassified under uh, in 2014, uh, low-level nonviolent non-sexual crimes uh, to misdemeanors because they were sending people to prison for petty theft. Uh, do you know what the number one reason they were sending women to prison for in, in the late 90s and the 2000s? What's that? Stealing. And you know what they were stealing? Uh, Well, is it like uh, petty theft? Yeah, but they were putting them as felonies and sending them to prison. Oh. It was baby formula mm. and, and diapers. So they were essentially sending women to prison and jail for st stealing Similac and diapers. You know, just... yeah. So Prop 47 dropped that to a misdemeanor. Got a, My record got expunged by the Kern County Public Defender's Office. Um, Tanya Richard, and I will always give her credit because they never get any love as they're always mocked and, you know, by people. They did a great job of reclassifying and being proactive. Thousands of people got reclassified. That means they could actually get those jobs now that they've been locked out of and they could actually get back into school and get housing. Uh, my daughter came to live with me right after that. And I went to get an apartment up by uh, Highland High School, and I didn't have to check a box somewhere saying I was a felon. Mm, mm -hmm. And uh, that was a type of liberation and like validation back that I was a member of society. But we worked to make that happen through community organizing, through local policies, through state policies, through ballot initiatives, all work that I'm proud to continue to support across the state of California. And, you know, that's the type of work that it's led to as um, I... Um, as a, my current role. Yeah, right on. You're doing huge things in the community. So thank you for that. We are. We are. Yeah. <laughs> we, do, we do it together. True. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, it sounds like, gosh, it sounds like sociology has really uh, had a huge impact, but also helps you with your current op occupation, right? So you, you yeah. had mentioned mass incarceration. Uh, there's a book that I signed in my senior seminar class, and I make sure that they know that to read that before they exit as sociology majors or um is it michelle alexander's book yes dr michelle alexander yeah yes. with the, uh, the new jim crow right so it sounds it sounds like a lot of that stuff parallels with what you're also part of my um, library yes yeah it's it's a good piece to have part of your your library a very important conversation so yeah because it really debunks and demystifies a lot of things that we're taught we're we are taught a lot of propaganda from birth to then the college experience it should all be taught in high school by the way is it really unlocks truth and like uh, critical thinking, you mm -hmm. know, which was really absent from our communities over the last, I don't know, couple of decades. Um, as we see in like college being affordable for white middle-class folks. And now that people of color are seeking it, you people get into debt and now can't afford to go to college. It's just, uh, I believe that no condition exists by accident. You know, there's powers that are working to create, make this happen. So mm -hmm. we create a, uh, a servant class here in the country that's serving the elite and yeah so okay yeah so i mean it's probably um i guess for me it's pretty probably pretty obvious what you do enjoy about your job right it's very rewarding you see certain accomplishments is there anything else you'd like to make mention about what you enjoy uh, yeah. about your job you know what i enjoy the most about my job is I was a TA for uh, Dr. Santos and for um, Dr. Cabetti in theory. Okay. And, I, and I really love teaching. I love lecturing and I love, you know, not so much grading papers, but yeah, I did do a lot of that. <laughs> As you know, professors do get TA. They do a lot of the grunt work. Uh, 
I ain't saying no name, protected guilty. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, really like, I love uh, teaching. And as an organizer with a lot of experience, I get to teach people how to organize. And I now get to teach native communities who have been really siloed and haven't had the investment on teaching. And really is teaching, um, there's a phrase that, uh, you know, we, we're in farm worker country. You know, La Paz is minutes from probably where you live, uh, where Cesar's buried, Cesar Chavez. Mm -hmm. I grew up in the movement, worked with the UFW. My family was part of the UFW. And Caesar said one thing about the grapes and the grape strike, that it was never about the grapes. It was always about people. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's about the people. I love being able to meet different people, to hear their stories. You know, so much now with even video, like we're on video and, you know, things are in the social media and the cloud to sit in front of another human being and to hear their story and share your story and just figure out, is there something we could do together that could change this, that things that we're experiencing, mm -hmm. if we all came together, bringing people together right? To do all this. For me, that's the, the be most beautiful thing I love about my job. Yeah. I've, and I've been able to do this across the whole state of California in Bakersfield, in uh, Arvin and Tatchby, all this, all these different places. I used to organize up at the uh, UCC church up there in Tatchby. Okay. And uh, man, it's uh, now going across the state and, you know, organizing in tribal communities, just, uh, you know, you know, people, you know, wherever there's good people, there's going to be good organizing. And, right. uh, you know, so I just love that I get to interact with different people, meet different people and be in relationship with so many different people mm -hmm. yeah so yeah sociology was definitely your love <laughs> it sounds like it definitely interacting it was uh, and i am a in strength finder i am a uh context person that's mm -hmm. my strength so definitely history is all that um yeah but in briggs meyer i'm an introvert believe it or not and i've learned in my work to be an extroverted introvert Mm -hmm. um, though I'm front stage and I'm meeting people, I have to withdraw afterwards and recharge. Yes. You know, yeah. I live, I live alone in LA, <laughs> had a large family, but I live alone now because uh, I have an introvert by nature. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, you get to travel across, you know, travel places, have these important conversations and yeah. Um, yeah. That's definitely something that yeah. I could see you enjoying. My commute, my commute many mornings is by Southwest Airlines. So. <laughs> oh, man. It's better than traffic, huh? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm flying over Bakersfield instead of driving through it. Yeah, yeah. And so um, we've touched on a little bit about what you enjoy about your job and um, what, what would be certain challenges that you'd like to share with us about your job? Yeah, you know... Um, we have something we've heard of the military industrial complex. We've heard of the prison industrial complex, but there is definitely something called the nonprofit industrial complex. And uh, there's a rapper called ice life. If you want to hear more about it is how we, um, I feel like some of the best organizers that we have have been co-opted by a mortgage now and a car payment. 
because we have these deliverables we got to hit by philanthropists, you know, um, to hit a deliverable or a deadline or the bureaucracy of it all is really the challenging part. I have a, there's a quote about the revolution not being televised. I always say the revolution won't be televised, but it's going to be in Excel or Google sheet somewhere because uh, kind of the, the details of everything are really what can you got to have some bureaucracy and some structure to move things. But when you're overburdened by bureaucracy and structure, it can get really challenging to do the work. Mm. Um, so I'd be like, you know, limiting any barriers that we have for organizers to be able to do the work, the important work that they do, that they're paid, reimbursed, um, you know, that they have every all the tools they need and they're not sitting through hours of paperwork where they could be out in the field, uh, you know, serving their communities and working with their communities. So I think that for me is like one of the biggest challenges has been um, kind of the, the bureaucracy. And also with philanthropy, we can only go so far when we're pushing in direct action. You know, we have in 2015, we shut down Governor Brown's office with 300 uh, clergy multiracial coalition. We took over his office to sign a police accountability bill AB 953, which is the Racial Identity and Profiling Act, which is going into effect in 2022. So BPD will have to comply with this, taking down all the information of age, race, religion of everyone they stop, and not just people they arrest, but everyone they stop to combat racial profiling. That goes in a database, and if they're seeing mm. their over profiling, they can get their funding cut and other kind of sanctions on their department. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, we... Um, Yeah, I think those are like, um, you know, when we're with philanthropy, we um, sometimes you can't do some of those more radical moves like uh, direct action mm -hmm. because of upsetting the powers that be. I know organizers in Kern County who was doing direct action on the city council, mm. you know, and they almost lost their jobs yeah. um, because of the status quo. You know, they care more about respectability politics than actual people. Mm. You know, and I think that's a a different direction that we got to be able to. I'm, I've just been blessed that I work in a network where I'm able to do push as hard, really, as <laughs> but a lot of folks don't have that luxury because they they got that car note and that mortgage they got to do. And I got car notes, I got this and that, but the creators provided for me my whole life, and I have a feeling the creator will keep providing for me. Mm. Yeah, whether I have a job or not. Yeah. So. Okay, right on. So for anyone that's interested in doing um, the kind of work that you do um, or wants to do what you're doing right now, what, what piece of advice do you think you'd offer that person or those people? Yeah, I get a lot of my friends. Um, I remember when I was organizing and I was doing these. I remember one time the sociology department funded our group, UNIR, United Now for Immigrant Rights, that we started. When we were doing our immigrant rights work and uh, around immigration reform, they sent us to uh, Arizona during Memorial Day. They funded us, uh, Dr. Santos, Dr. Dugan, and other professors. And we drove out there. We were able to um, to go and um, be involved in that and like push against the a show me your papers law in Arizona. And mm -hmm. I feel like those type of experiences are the things I would encourage people to get involved in. Get involved in a club on campus. 
get involved in the Black Student Union, get involved in the sociology club. In my opinion, the sociology professors are the most politically active and proactive department in the whole campus. History and poli-sci talk a good game. And I've said <laughs> this before, like, you know, uh, but when it comes to the rubber to the road, Dr. Santos walked from Bakersfield to Sacramento for immigration reform in 2012, 2013. It's like, you ain't seeing anyone else do that, you know? And he was in his seventies then. And it's like, you know, like these folks aren't just about talk, they're about action. So I encourage folks, take these volunteer opportunities when they come. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was organizing a lot, we were doing this, you ask people to come and volunteer and they'll say no. And then now like, People are like, hey, you're hiring for a job? And I'm like, yeah. I go, but I don't think you qualify. And they're like, why? Because you don't have any experience. <laughs> <laughs> the type of things that we want, you know? Mm -hmm. just come in here and learn. But when you take those opportunities to volunteer and to get developed in an organization, yeah. like those things are really gold because you're learning data systems, you're learning voter systems, you're learning different how to message and narrative, how to do media. Like these are all things I learned in community organizing mm -hmm. you know? and yeah. sociology has just been helpful in helping shape the context when I'm doing political education and awakening folks. So I, I just really strongly advise folks volunteer, find a mentor, get involved in a club, get involved in an organization like faith in the Valley in Kern, get involved with these different groups that are doing things because you're going to learn something. And right. They say like, oh, I'm working for free, but I don't think it's really like that. You're learning a valuable skill that could be helpful for your uh, your career and your uh, like I encourage people to learn everything. Like I tell organizers, learn how to do everything. Learn how to do yeah. PDI, political data, ink, the voter system. Learn how to do this. Because when it comes to like cutbacks, like, you know, a lot more, it's harder to cut you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you know, you know a lot. Yeah. Just encourage people to take those volunteer opportunities on campus and the community. Get involved in your community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because it, who knows where the doors will open and just stay positive. You know, things feel like uncertain and, you know, like you don't know what your next step is, you know, stay connected to the university, you know, stay connected to folks like um, Andreas, you know, like you <laughs> and, and David and uh, these folks, is, you know, doors will open and things will mm -hmm. unlock for folks, but you just really got to like, um, you got to stay connected. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you had mentioned the the volunteer work. I've had stories of people that graduate and they're trying to find work and they're like, gosh, you know, like I did really well in school, but like I didn't really volunteer. So it's really hard for me. I don't have a lot of experience beyond, you know, my good grades or something like that. Um, so volunteer work, I definitely push that in my classes, um, getting involved with club activities, stuff like that. That also helps because um, not only do you, are you active in the community, but you can, you can get a wide range of connections. Like you mentioned, you never know what's going to happen. You can get presented a job. Um, I often work closer with students when they're active in sociology club, cause I am the club advisor. And so the reference letters I feel personally are stronger because I know that student a little bit more than somebody that just had good grades in my class, you know, that kind of just sat back and was quiet the whole time. And so, you know, that experience aspect is very important because you could put it on a resume and it develops you also as a person, you know, it, you said it inspired you just going in and being active in those uh, demonstrations and stuff like that. 
And so, yeah, I think it's a really good point. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. We even did demonstrations on campus. I think we had an immigration rally in 2011 or something, you know, mm -hmm. like we, we were active on campus. It's a, yeah, it's a really great campus. I'm sure it's grown even more since I was there. Yeah. Yeah, it has. Yeah. A bit, bit more. We have a Starbucks now, so, so. Wouldn't, no, uh, no sponsor, but we do have a Starbucks. <laughs> so yeah, it is growing quite a bit. Um, yeah, but that's, that's a, that's a really good point. So thank you for pointing that out. All right. But Hey, uh, you know, I want to thank you for coming on, sharing your story and your experience and your journey through sociology and, uh, love me having you back sometime in the future. Yeah. Love to come back and delve into some of these other topics a little more deeper. Yeah, you got it. All right, Joey. Take care. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Sociology Talk. For more stories about sociologists, please subscribe and check out my other episodes. Take care.